to They That Hope with Father Dave and Deacon Bob, seeing humor and hope in a crazy world. And I'm Deacon Bob. And I'm Father Dave, and it is getting crazier. You are alive. Yes. Barely. Yeah, You're hanging yeah, on. yeah, generally, I, you want to say alive and well, but. Yes. But alive. Well, we'll take a lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll take a lie. Yeah, you got in at 1.30 last night? Right, right. So I was in Europe. Uh, for a week, uh, eight days, uh, we did the Passion Play, which was, are we going to talk about that now or, sec- or the second segment? Let's just do it now. All right, let's just do it now. So I went to the Passion Play, which is in Oberammergau, Germany. They've done it for 400 and some years. Every 10 years, 300 people in this little village uh, to be in the play. Wait, they only do it every 10 years? They do it every 10 years, and they did it. They oh. said, if you get us out of the plague, Lord, we'll, we'll remember you and we'll honor you by doing this Passion Play. So. They've done it every 10 years. I must laugh. They were supposed to do it in 2020, but given that we're in the middle of a plague, <laughs> they put it off, which is somewhat ironic. Yes, and, totally. And, but be that right. to me. Yeah, so this little village, it's been kind of their gift to the to the world for uh, over 400 years. Yeah. You have to live in the village to be a part of it. Okay. There's about 300 people in the cast. And it's just, and then when you go to dinner in the evening, like some of the cast members are actually waiters and waitresses. So like dinner just, theater. Yeah, a little bit. So it's three hours. Uh, well, about two and a half hours, then you have dinner, and then about another two and a half hours. And really moving. It was really, it's the second time I've done it. I've done it. I did it in 2010. Now, wait, does this feel like community theater, or is this like a professional? Oh, I mean, they're really good. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things we were saying. We're going, this is fixed. All right. Yeah. Because there's so like... many talented, really. And they have, they, do, they have choirs, and it's just, it's really, really beautiful. But part of it is that in literally... They're raised for this. I mean, it's been this village. It's been doing it for 400 years. It's like when you're a little kid. Do you think kid, they typecast them? Yeah, that's like right. Ed, it's like Ed you're in you Judas, right? Somebody right. steals something. It's like, we know who you're going to be. Yeah. Fights to be Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was just wonderful. So then from there, we, we did pilgrimage. We did to Prague. So it was really beautiful. One of the first things I received as a, as a little kid was a little infant to Prague medal that was given to me by my parish priest. And okay. I've always kind of had a an affinity, a devotion, I mean, not major devotion, but a devotion of um, our infant of Prague. So we went there. There was about 45 of us. Uh, we went from there to Bratislava and there from Budapest. And I got home last night at 1.30 uh, to be able to host the president of Hungary. Who That's was so nuts. Yeah, so she's here. Yeah, so it's really, this was really cool. So uh, an individual who used to work at the university, went to school here. He now does consulting with um, politicians across the world, particularly politicians of faith. Mm-hmm. And he has uh, one of the clients that he works with is actually the president of Hungary. And her name is uh, Madam President Novak. And it'll be okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to say her name is Madam President. No, no, no. Yeah. And uh, so, so she came to the United States. She spoke at the UN last Tuesday. And she said to a friend of mine that she wanted to be around young people with faith. And he said they need to go to Franciscan University. So wow. she, she came here for the morning. It was just... It was spectacular. It was, she's just a beautiful witnessing example. Some, one of the questions one of the kids asked, she said, I don't want questions from faculty. I want to listen to the kids. Yeah. And she said, well, you know, she's, she's pro-life. She's pro-traditional marriage. I mean, everything that the world right now is, is rallying against. And somebody said, like, are you worried about what other people think or what other countries think? And she goes, no, I really don't care. It was was just something really refreshing about it. But she's just a beautiful, beautiful witness. Google her, her, her talk to the UN was challenging. She said that we have so many institutions that are supposed to promote peace, the United Nations and some of these other. And she stated, um, but all they're really about is indoctrination. Mm. And, and she said that we live in a world that can't tell fiction from reality, truth from chaos or whatever. And 
And she talks about absolute God. That's what we get. So she was just wow. a beautiful visit to the UN. Lives. Yeah, to the UN. Yeah, wow. it was really beautiful. So you know, the students were just thrilled. I mean, how often do you have a president of a country visiting? Right. Secret Service was everywhere. Oh, like, were they really? Yeah, I think some of the kids liked that more than actually okay. the president's visit. So yeah. it was really, it was really a great event. Yeah. But you're right. I'm toast. I mean, right. It was crazy. We get into um, Newark last night, and there was a plane apparently that was on fire. So everybody was stuck on the tarmac for about two hours before we got, thank the Lord, our plane, everything was delayed. So I was able to get home last night around 1.15, 1.20. Yeah, I was actually in uh, Tampa trying to get home before the hurricane. Okay, oh yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We were on the tarmac and every, I guess there's the rule in Tampa airport, if there's lightning three miles or closer, you have to wait 10 minutes. And so as we're getting on the plane, they're like, okay, there's lightning 11 miles away. Okay, everyone get on quickie. It's eight, it's eight miles away. We get out there, they're like, all right, there's lightning two miles away, we gotta wait. And then, okay, we got more lightning strikes. But then the guy was like, cause it's Southwest, so they're kind of goofy. They're like, 11 minutes, we're going, we're going. Uh -huh. You know, and we just like took off, we just escaped. But it was crazy being in Tampa because I, awesome. so I was there on Sunday for the game. We'll talk about sports because that's the most there? important thing. They did awesome. Okay, awesome. They did fantastic. They lost uh -huh. to Green Bay okay. uh, by two points. In overtime, I think. Right? Well, they almost made it to overtime. Okay. It was, uh, they, they were. They almost make it to overtime by a two point margin. Because they were going for a two-point conversion. Okay, okay, okay. And they, and they failed it. But, and this is the scuttlebutt right now, they actually, it's kind of odd that Todd, Tom Brady would get caught on a delay of game penalty, but the they were about to do the two-point conversion, and then the whistle blew, and it was a delay of game, so they had to move back five yards, and then they didn't make the two-point conversion. Oh. Well, later on, they realized that when they blew the whistle to start the play, it started at the 22nd mark, not the 25-second mark. And Brady's just programmed in his mind to know exactly how long these things are. Yeah, yeah. So we got pushed back five yards. Would we have made it at two yards? Maybe, but we didn't have Evans because he was suspended. Our other, all our starting wide receivers are out. The general attitude is our defense did great, held Aaron Rodgers, previous MVP, to two touchdowns, that's it. And if we have anybody who can catch the ball, really? we're going we're gonna to be dangerous. So, I saw the Denver, We had a lot of fun. Uh, first off, Notre Dame won, and they oh, beat a team fantastic. that was undefeated. So that was a big win. They beat okay. North Carolina, so that's a big win. Denver won. The score was 11 to 10. <laughs> I, I did you see that. that? I saw that. How did that even happen? 11 to 10. Uh, field goal, a safety, and a touchdown when you miss the PT. I mean, how do you get 11 points? 11 points is really hard to get. Hey, speaking of that, I was listening to our previous episode. So we do have oh. a error and admission. admission no, really? thing. We did make a mistake. Well, oh, you, wait. We you, made a mistake? Well, you suggested for the Broncos-Seahawks game, uh, you said Broncos by 17. Yeah. That that didn't actually happen. It didn't? They didn't win by 17? No, they didn't win at all. Why are we dealing with the past? Let's live in the future. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. That's right. Yes, That's right. exactly. Yeah. Um, but okay, was, real quick. So yeah. on the flight back, I watched two films. Okay. So I was going to watch Doctor Strange, but you said it was really bad. I did not say that. I thought you said it was really bad. No, oh, I actually enjoy that. You, know, you thought the, the Jurassic Park one was bad. Is that the one you watched? No, I didn't. Oh, good call. But I didn't watch Doctor Strange. I watched A Murder on the Nile. And who stars in Murder on the Nile? Yes. Wonder Woman. That's right. Yeah. Gal Gadot. So I watched it 12 times. <laughs> and then um, Always had the same ending. That was a fun movie. I liked it. It was. Movie. It was. Actually, yeah. Did I, you I see did. Murder on the Orient Express? I did. I did. Yeah, I think I those... thought they were both good. They're fun. Yeah, they're, I mean, fun. they're fun. Yeah. Um, and then I watched Fatherhood. Are you familiar with that movie? Uh, no. Okay. Kevin Hart. Okay. Uh, married and his wife dies in childbirth. And it's oh. really the story of him as an African-American uh, trying to raise a child by himself and, and the tension that exists between 
his mother-in-law wanting, thinking maybe it's best that the baby be with her. It was really... Is that a serious movie? Yeah, well, it's there's some comical scenes, but yes, I, I would say it's not basically a comedy. It was really actually quite... I was pleasantly surprised. Kevin Hart. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. Interesting. Yeah, I always think of him as just a kind of loud comedian. No, he no, actually... exactly, exactly. No, I, again, and there's... He's also really... on every other advertisement these he days. Yes, he is. Yes. There's some really, honestly, uh, Bob, there's some really poignant, beautiful scenes about... Oh, I'll check it out. ...about being a father and... And in almost a stereotype that a father can't raise a child, mm. you know, it's got to be a woman. They yeah. have to raise. So it was really one of the scenes was um, his his mother says to him, "You're doing a great job being mom." It was really, huh. it was really touching. Yeah. So father, and that's what. And then I watched *Beauty of Men* just because. Just because. Yeah, yeah. Just because you can. Because yeah. you can handle the truth. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yes, but you're right. I'm toast, um, but it's great to be back. Yeah. Well, our prayers for those in Tampa. And yeah. by the time you hear this podcast. I guess Fiona happened while I was gone, too. And that was one of the largest storms that ever hit Canada, I guess. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It started It was it started maybe as a tropical storm or a hurricane. Right. moved up to the yeah. eastern coast. Of well, they were, you know, on Monday, um, I tried to get lunch in Tampa. And people were clearing up. Really? The and and, and, and they, they shut the city down. I, I guess even today, they shut the power off. So that it would oh, preemptively, because most of the explosions happen because there's electric. So, I mean, the airport is shut down. I so mean, they are just in time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was actually sitting on the plane like, Lord, I have to get out now okay. because there's no, uh, if I'm not out now, I'm going to stay here until Friday. Uh, and it wouldn't be like a fun time. Until right, right, right. You know, it'd be like staying at the hotel airport. Cool. So, praise God. Cool. And we have, um, what do we call it? Promotion. Yes, we do. But we're going to save it till next week because we want to talk about it more. Yes. Right. Yes, okay. that's so very true. Here. So Markov who's listening, wondering why we're not doing it. Stay tuned next week for our very exciting promotion about Franciscan University. Yeah, we're going to talk about the uh, the theme of our semester, but we felt as though we we, wanted, more, we just have a lot to talk about. And we today. wanted to give it more time. Yeah. So you are back working at, on the theme team, actually. Right. So what is that? So every year uh, we bring together a number of the people who help out with the Studentville Youth Conferences. And we spend three days where we pray, we look at the schedule, we talk about the feedback from the previous year, uh, we look towards the next year. Part of the joke of it in one way is that it doesn't really change much, or at least it might not seem to change much from a, a young person's perspective. But I think it's actually one of the best things that we do in terms of just an openness to the spirit, um, I think there's a humility involved. You know, we're not looking to just put everything in stone. I mean, something we're going to have Saturday night adoration. Can you give us? Do we have a theme now? It's called. Are, are yes. you able to say it? Oh, I am because we said it all last summer. Oh, very good. Yeah, it's called refuge. Oh, right. Yeah, like the Lord is our refuge, and we were praying about it. This came out of the previous summer's theme team. Uh, just the idea of the anxiety and the stress and the fearfulness uh, that so many young people experience today, and the Lord being a, a refuge for them, a place of peace. And we're also talking about the, our real refuge is in heaven. You know, that's, you know, the Lord walks with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. And that, and that brings in hope. You know, the virtue of hope is our confidence that helps us keep our eyes fixed on things above, not on things of the earth. And there's so many things on the earth that are so distracting and, you know, riddled with anxiety. And so... Um, I remember one of the years we—I mean, part of it is to try to discern what what the Lord seems to be saying. And yeah. I remember one particular year we discerned that we really needed to speak more towards 
some of the social issues that the young people are dealing with. If right. you remember, we, we dealt with the um, homosexuality issue and we were right. very intentional about it. The thought was is that the reality is, is a lot of parishes, unfortunately, young people never hear anything about that. So, right. so they're being inundated by the culture, by the world, by the music, by the media, honestly, by the teachers at times. Yeah. And if there isn't another voice, then where are they going to hear that? Yeah. So we felt that we needed to speak to that. And then, our, I forget what it was, but in the spring, maybe there was a Supreme Court case that finally got settled on that. I can't remember what it was. But it was like so timely, Right. our, our, our discussion of it. And I remember one of the young people came and they said, we're amazed that you guys spoke on this topic with, with what happened like uh, two <laughs> right. weeks ago. Right. But I mean, I, I really think that's part of the Lord's grace. Yes, is that it, is. It, it really does give us a sense of, okay, these are things that the young people, and you said it really well, Bob, it's not just cookie cutter, this is what we do, but we really try to be faithful to what the Lord's asking of us. We're always proclaiming the gospel message. Right. We're always inviting people into a relationship with Jesus. We're always focused on powerful sacramental encounters and spirit-led worship. But it's asking the question, Lord, how do you want us to proclaim the gospel. I mean, you know, over and over again, the church talks about how important it is to enculturate the gospel message, which isn't watering it down. It's using the language and the symbols and the experience of the people you're sharing with and find a way to reveal Christ in their midst. And so I'm always super edified, you know, somebody who's not really active right now in a relational youth ministry vibe outside my kids, I guess just to hear what young people are going through. Right. You know, we, we draw on people from around the country and speakers and other things. And I just, I mean, those conversations are both exciting, but also really, really sad. You know, um, so many young people are just struggling. And one of the issues that's come up, and it seems to come up even more every year, is there's a lack of generational empathy with young people today. You know, and I'm even seeing that in some other work that I'm doing. Um, you know, we talk about how sad it is that so many young people are leaving the church. But there's also kind of like a, those dumb kids, they should get their butts back here, you know, kind of thing. And it's not like a, why are they leaving? Where are they going? What are they struggling with? Uh, a lack of a desire just to listen to the experience of young people. You know, sometimes we see really bad examples in media about synodality and sure. there are people trying to use that to change the church's doctrine. And then you hear about that thing, we should be listening to young people, and the attitude can be, why do we listen to them? Well, we're listening to their experience. Sure. Like we're trying, you know, just, you know, the, the example is Jesus on the road to Emmaus, you know, asking the disciples what happened to him. <laughs> you right, know, right. like the humility of just, because he wanted to hear their experience of it. And, and it was in that conversation, he opened up the scriptures, and they were able to recognize him in the breaking of the bread. Yeah, I think that's all, in one sense, that's probably been the case for time memoriam that that the younger generation right but looking at the younger generation but i think now is that you're, you're right there's this this gap and this gulf that exists between them it, it was interesting one of the, the books i'm sure we, we both read called sticky faith and it was mm -hmm. taking a look at the young people who who stay in the faith and yeah. one of the one of the elements a common denominator between those was they saw intergenerational ministry and had intergenerational relationships right and that's so key. That's so important because, in some ways, and it may be an indictment on youth ministry historically, but we've created these these cell groups that are mm -hmm. very much apart from the rest of the community. And there needs to be, yeah, being able to walk to walk with uh, other people in the, in the community that are older and younger, actually, right. so that they can actually young people can see themselves in ten years from now, twenty years from now, still having a place in the church. 
But if we totally isolate them from the rest of the community or the other generations, that they don't see that. But then the other is true as well, is to get young people involved in ministry with people below right. them, so that there's this, there's this continuum that's this, for lack of a little circle of life that they yeah. see themselves as a part of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the goal should be to insert young people into the life of the parish community. The assumption there is that the parish community has a life, and right. sometimes you find. Uh, youth ministry programs that it's like the only thing going on is the youth ministry program but you can end up having an attitude of sending the kids you know the teens to like the kids table at Thanksgiving and they don't get to interact with the adults one of the you know one of the ongoing conversations is even the role of a youth minister and sometimes sadly parishes the few parishes that hire a youth minister sometimes they do it almost in a sense of abdicating their responsibility right, right, to evangelize right, right, young people. Right, we have that. We paid, right. we paid for a youth minister. We, have, we gave them a youth room. What more do we want? Well, we, we want actually young people to feel welcome and a part we of the, the, the We want yeah, relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's not just a Catholic problem. I mean, we live in a society that really separates teenagers from adults. Like, we kind of, they're out of sight, out of mind, um, you know, we put them in schools, we Had put them in other places, good, and, and it's almost like, you know, we'll, we'll start talking to you when you're in your mid-20s and $100,000 in college debt. And mm -hmm. we don't really have roles for them and aren't sometimes willing to let go of leadership positions to allow young people to even fail at them, but to but to start growing in it. I mean, it's it's a problem all across the board, obviously. It's not a condemnation of one group or the other, except to say that we do need to have a greater sense of co-responsibility in the church and every parish community should feel like we this is our problem like we really want to do it another the same people that did sticky faith did an interesting survey called growing young and they looked at communities that were able to get younger in their demographic mm -hmm. and this was protestant and catholic you know again it's not just a catholic problem and one of the things they found like the telltale signs of how are they growing younger is the entire faith community has an empathy for young people. Yeah. Like they 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 see they're them, they welcome them. Right, yeah, they, they're willing to change the way they worship or change things that they do to make it more accessible to young people. And that's a huge thing. And they take the message of Jesus Christ seriously. So uh, it's exciting so to be a part of these conversations. Yeah. That's actually one of the things that I love about being Catholic. We had a conversation with a couple of people that were on pilgrimage with me that they were talking about these super mega churches, you know, non-denominational evangelical yeah. churches. They said one of the things that if you go to them, you'll realize is, is that they're very young, but there isn't many people that are old in those right. groups. Almost as if there's not a place for them. It's it's kind of young, they're hip, they're relevant, but yeah. as they get a little bit older, they don't fit in. And that's actually one of the things we need to reclaim the word diversity because it's got such yes. a negative political issue now. But I love the fact that Catholic we are diverse is that we've got We've got young people, we've got older people, there's a place for them. And then that tension exists, yes. Yes, we need to be able to pay attention and listen to the young people, but but not totally. Again, they're, they're, they're 15 years old, they're 18 years old, we need to listen to the voice, but they're also 15 years old or they're 18 yes, years old. Yes. So that doesn't mean that we change everything because of that, but there needs to be this conversation that, 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 that they have a sense of, of feeling like they belong. I mean, that was one of the graces of, of mine growing up was that I really felt like I had a place in the church. Yeah, I was involved in ministry. I, I was a lector. I was a server when I was younger. There was just always this place for me. I'm sure it was because my mom and dad were very active in the church. But yeah, I always felt that there's that I belonged there. Yeah, yeah, amen. And that's a and that's a feeling that many young people don't have today. Mm -hmm. 
And I think even things like COVID and the shutdown, you know, we've mentioned this on the podcast before, but for uh, it was difficult for all of us. But for us who are older, it was a year of our life. Yeah. For younger people, it was a huge chunk of their life. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, it was twenty five percent of their high school experience. You know, and they're still oh, at least, yeah. they're, they're still recovering from that. Yeah, at least depending on where right. you are in the country. Yeah, and I think there's a subtle. You, you used the word anxiety when you were first talking about refugee. I think that there there's this underlying, not that far anxiety that it's like kind of what's next or are we really through or what what when's the other shoe yeah, yeah, exactly. like you don't exactly. have a sense of stability or security we can say like wow that was weird never happened yeah, again yeah, yeah, yeah. and they were like how many times will this happen in my well, life it's or what else will happen having, in my having just got back um, in most of the villages and towns in europe they've got you know some monument memorial to plagues i mean it was just a part mm. of the history right even in vienna the beautiful uh, downtown area in the middle of it is this monument to the plague and uh, they're you know coming out of that so it's just it's a part of our history one of which you and I for the first time have had to live through yeah let me just say one of the one of maybe last comment related to um, the president from Hungary one of the things that was interesting when when she came to give a talk we were like what is she going to talk about and she said she wanted to talk about um, being a mom and hmm. being a working mom and, and again, it's it's that opportunity to be able to give young women an opportunity to see something. She goes, she goes, it's really hard. You know, yeah. it's really hard to be a mom and to be a working mom and, and now to be the president of a country, right? Yeah, right. But she said, and it was really beautiful. She said, I felt the Lord called me to both of these. Hmm. And and she said to the women that that what is all put when it was all said and done, what is most important is me being a mom. And she said, you know, at the end of the day, I go home and I get recharged by being with my children and being present to them and, and raising them. And she said, my daughter, I still snuggle with her. Yeah. But it was really beautiful, this this witness to uh, a woman who's, you know, I, we actually talked about uh, Supreme Court Justice Coney, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, who, yeah. who was able to do the same thing, right? And, and, and again, not everybody's called to that. She actually, the president of Hungary said she goes, she has great admiration of moms who choose to stay home yeah. all the time. But she said that just wasn't what God was calling me to. Yeah. It, was, it was really beautiful. And again, giving a witness of, of somebody older than them that they can look up to that our, our young women on our campus could see. It was, really, it was a really wonderful experience. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Praise God. Yep, yeah. amen. All right, well, we are continuing our journey through Philippians. And Once today... Bob is walking us through. <laughs> You're a little bit tired. It's all right. Um, and today we're reading uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 2 through 11. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision, we who worship through the Spirit of God, who boast in Christ Jesus and do not put our confidence in the flesh, although I myself have grounds for confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else thinks that he can be more confident in the flesh, all the more can I circumcised on the eighth day of the race of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew parentage, in observance of the law of Pharisee, in zeal I persecuted the church, in righteousness based on the law I was blameless. But whatever gains I had, these I have come to consider a loss because of Christ. More than that, I even consider everything as a loss because of the supreme good of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have accepted the loss of all things, and I consider them so much rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having any righteousness of my own based on the law, 
but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, depending on faith, to know him and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by being conformed to his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Probably good to put some context there. Um, one of the big things that Paul was often arguing against was a group called the Judaizers. And these were uh, Jews who had accepted Christ, but felt very strongly that what Jesus did, you know, obviously being a fulfillment of the previous covenants, but you need to keep the other covenantal things as well. So that means you have to eat kosher meat, you know. Um, the big thing is you it's been sacrificed. Right. Now I mean eat and then you need to be circumcised. Now, of course, for you know, young Jewish males, they would do it on the eighth day, but if you have a, a an adult Greek convert. Where you go here, okay. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like Let's this was, this was part of the tension. And so that's why when Paul was talking about, you know, beware of the mutilation, uh, we are the circumcised, we worship in the Spirit of God. What Paul's trying to say is, like, that's not in this new covenant, that's not what we need to live out anymore. It's not about the externals. It's not about the bloodline anymore. Uh, we're all adopted through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that was very, that was really revolutionary yeah, at the right. time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we kind of like, yeah, that's the way it was. But that was a huge tension in the early church when you look at Acts. Um, you know, that becomes a big, a big decision that the apostles make. You really see the first council of Jerusalem. Later on, when we read Galatians, you'll see that Paul will call Peter to task on the fact that he seems to be going back to the, the Jewish way of doing things and not realizing the, the witness that it's giving when he's out trying to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And so and that's just, that. Just on a side note with that, you really yeah. see, you begin to see the primacy of Peter in that whole conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Peter steps up, he's got the vision, you know, what, what, who are you to make unclean, what I make clean. So, but, but you can't, you can't stress enough importance that this was yes you know in the church and in, in, in her becoming to understand more clearly that there's something different here even in that paul paul says at the beginning of that he says in zeal i persecuted persecuted the church in righteousness based on the law right and realizing okay that there's something other than, than the law or the law is going to be a person now not just merely descriptions or inscriptions of things that have to be done and he said he was blameless in the law and you know uh, Dr. John Bergsma gave him, he always gives great talks, but one very insightful talk he gave uh, was about the, um, the adulterous woman, John chapter 8. And he said, you know, sometimes people think that when Jesus says, you know, if you're without sin, be the first to cast the stone, that they started dropping rocks because they felt so guilty about, yeah, I guess I'm a sinner too. But John actually said, no, there's something deeper there. Actually, many Jews really thought that they were blameless, you know? I never killed anybody. I never had a, you know, I never slept I with never, somebody never, else's I never, wife. I, I never, I never, I never. Man, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't. Yeah, and that, and and what Jesus was trying to say, like, you know, if you, if you look at somebody lustfully, you have, or if you are angry, you know, if you said something bad, you've killed them. Like, Jesus, like, really took the law so much deeper, but for so many of the people at the time, it was that shallow. It was, I wash my hands the right way before every meal. I am blameless. And that's, where Paul's trying to say, like, no, the real circumcision is the circumcision of the heart. He'll say that later. You know, like this idea that I actually acknowledge, whoa, I am, 
I'm way off. Well, it, it doesn't. I mean, he he basically says, according to the law, justified him persecuting the church. Yeah. Right. I can do this because, and and I always I always love Paul. One of the things I love most about Paul is, is that Paul had baggage. I mean, yeah. I I came deeper into the Lord. I was never terribly far away. Thank the Lord. But I came deeper in relationship with the Lord. And then even in that, think back, oh, I wish I would have done this different. I wish I would have done that mm. different. And, I mean, Paul literally was killing Christians. Yeah. So talk about a person who doesn't, who comes to the faith with baggage. And, and there was this profound movement of grace in the Lord in him saying, okay, that's not who I am. Right. But the Lord has freed me from that. that right. Yes, that was a part of my background, part of my history. But, but saying, saying to himself, but they're blasphemers and they deserve to die. Yeah. And I'm actually doing good by the Lord. Right. And yeah, having that moment of being cut through to the heart. You know? Yeah. Just one of the things that we, we speak about when, we're, when you're in Philippi, uh, where there's a prison that Paul was also, Paul didn't obviously write this from Philippi. He right. wrote this to it, but he was in prison in Philippi. And there's an area where it was the public latrine. And when he says the rest is rubbish, the word the word rubbish is, is poop. Yeah. Now yeah. we chose to stick with the word rubbish, but, <laughs> but right. in essence, this is crap. You know, yeah. the rest of this is just it's just yeah. pointing on the tree. I mean, this is that's one thing Paul like the dogs. He was just so colorful in the way yes. that he used the language. Yeah, he was he was fiery and he was yeah. passionate and yeah. you and you really see that. And so even he who felt like he knew everything about the law and he was living the law, now he's living grace. And he's finding, um, right, I consider everything as a loss for the supreme good of knowing Christ Jesus. Um, and yeah, that even more extreme thing, you know, I consider everything else so much rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having any righteousness of my own based on the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of from God, to know him in the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by being conformed to his death. Um, I mean, wow, that's so profound. You know, in the catechism, I remember the first time I read the catechism, they had a section on the qualities of a catechist. And I was expecting they're going to encourage, you know, sound theological training and other things. They actually quote this section. Yeah. They said that the, the real knowledge of Christ has to be this kind of knowledge to know him and to be conformed to his suffering, to know him in the resurrection, and really to consider everything else as garbage, if only we can know who Jesus Christ is. Um, that's our rock, that's our salvation, that's our hope in what and what we is, do. This is just one of the things that I think is so powerful, having, again, just been in Europe, and we talked a little bit about the history of, of the church. And, and there's, you know, when, when you look at the history of 2,000 years, there's, there's ebbs and flows, there's peaks and valleys. And and one of the things is is the, the time that we we lose focus of Christ, or the time where the focus becomes, I don't know, some some particular dogma. Not, please, dogma is important. That's not what I'm right, saying. Right, right. But that that becomes, or a particular way to do liturgy becomes so much the focus that we forget Jesus. Yes. And this is what Paul, I mean, he, he talks about all these. He was a great Jew, I mean, a perfect Jew. We can be a perfect, quote unquote, perfect Catholic and do all the right things and thinking that that's going to justify me because yeah. I, I went pray, to church every Sunday. I went to church every Sunday. I pray the rosary. Um, I know blah, blah, blah. But if we don't know Jesus, it's all it's all rubbish is what he's saying. Right? Right. And that's that's a common thing. that It was true 2000 years ago. It's true today is, is let's not lose sight of the law, regulation, dogma, doctorate, rubric. 
Yeah. All of those things. Nobody is saying they're not important. But in the light of Christ's death and resurrection and sharing in his suffering, being conformed to him, all of those, the purpose of all of those is to bring us to those places. I love what the bishops are emphasizing with the Eucharistic awareness and Eucharistic revival. They, it's not just about coming back to Mass. It's about encountering Jesus Christ in the Mass. In the Mass. Yeah. You know, it's about, you know, the Eucharist isn't a what, it's a who. You know, it's, it's okay. Jesus. And that emphasis, I think, is so important because I think it is our human nature that we would like to fall into. If I do this, this, and this, I'm okay, right? Um, because that's the surface right, and that's right, what's right. easy for, and I fall into that too. You know, like we all can do that. And I like what you're saying, like, no, well, I haven't done this. I haven't done this. I haven't done this. Therefore I'm a good person. Yeah. And we're all being invited to a circumcision of the heart, yeah. you know, like a real depth of sacrifice and letting ourselves be suffer with Jesus and die with Jesus so that we might be resurrected with Jesus. And, and maybe just one last word on that, Bob, because and it's and what I hear about in, in confession so often is this this attitude that, okay, I'm living faithfully, I'm, I'm trying my best, and then an individual falls, maybe struggles with a particular sin, pornography or something like that, could be something else. And, and they almost judge their whole spiritual life by that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm doing well if I don't commit this particular sin, I'm doing horrible if I continue this. And I just don't think the Lord sees it like that, that, yeah. that we need to continue to try, we need to continue to get up, we need to continue to repent, we need to continue to ask for the Holy Spirit. But that's all part of this journey, this metanoia that we experience, so that we don't merely judge our whole spiritual life by, well, I fell again. Yeah, you know? or judge somebody else's exactly, whole spiritual exactly. life by the yeah, one yeah. particular sin Absolutely. that we think is the deal breaker. <laughs> yeah, I put out a meme a number of years ago, so we need to quit judging people because they sin differently than we do. <laughs> so. Yeah, but that's a true statement. Yeah. And it's not the righteousness based on law, but by grace. Yeah. So if you're hearing this, and I mean, that speaks to my heart. I'm sure it speaks to yours as you're listening, uh, that we would allow ourselves just to, just to let Jesus love us, to receive his grace, to not live on the righteousness of the law, but a righteousness of faith. And sure, and his suffering to be conformed. That's Amen. Awesome. Amen. Well, let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you loved us and you sent your son to us that we may be adopted in his blood and you've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord God, um, help us to have the same attitude of Paul that we would love Jesus so much that everything else would be a far distant second, uh, that we would know the supreme good of knowing Christ Jesus and the righteousness that comes from you, O oh God, Heavenly Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit. We thank you for your love. We ask your blessing. Uh, we ask for protection in all of our lives in a special way. Of course, we were mindful of the storms uh, that hit Cuba and Puerto Rico that's coming to Puerto Rico that's coming to the United States. Uh, and anybody listening in those situations that are scared, may they know that you are taking care of them and your hand is upon them. May the blessing of Almighty God be upon all of us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good to see you, Bob. Good to see you. And thank you, everybody. Uh, we'll be back next week. You can send us emails at hope at franciscan.edu. That's hope at franciscan.edu. Go, Irish. God bless. Yeah. <laughs>